Welcome to the Messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. Life is full of cobbler's pegs. In this episode, Padre Andrew brilliantly unpacks the parable of the wheat and the weeds and how Jesus wants us to forgive others. Imagine that you're home one evening watching Inspector Morse. That's a really good one. Imagine it's about time when it's coming to the peak of what's going to happen and we're going to go to an ad break. And then, after the ad break, there's an old version of I Love Lucy on. What? Specifically, this is where Lucy and Ethel decide to make money by baking and selling their own homemade bread. Lucy decides that a little bit of yeast makes a good loaf. So therefore, a lot of yeast should make even better loaves and more loaves. And when they open the oven to take out the bread, what emerges is a giant oversized loaf that keeps growing and growing and growing until Lucy's pinned to the back wall. Now you might be amused by all this, but you're tempted to ring the television station and say, what happened to the murder mystery that I was just watching? And suppose that they tell you, don't worry, it's coming back soon. And then, as it does, it comes back on and then you learn the solution to that show's mysterious puzzle. But the I Love Lucy segment seemed to be an odd interruption to what was going on with that murder, wasn't it? And what if it turned out that all this had been planned to provide another clue to tip you off in that murder mystery, the guilty person was the local baker. Ah! This is a bit of a strained analogy, but it's pretty clever and ultimately rather memorable too, isn't it? Something very similar happens to Matthew 13 today. First, Jesus tells a very interesting and rather mysterious parable about a wheat farmer who has an enemy. The enemy who secretly sows weeds in the dead of night. Mystery. That alone is very intriguing, but things get more intriguing when the story concludes with rather a surprising twist regarding how the farmer reacts to the agricultural mischief, this mysterious enemy. The story raises so many questions. What does it mean? What do the weeds stand for? Who does the enemy stand for? And why not weed out the wheat field like we weed out our vegetables and flower gardens at home? All these issues are hanging in the air like a giant question mark when suddenly Jesus launches into two unrelated stories about mustard seeds and a woman baking bread. Interesting, isn't it? Just like seeing I Love Lucy smack in the middle of a murder mystery. Looks like Jesus is going off on some tangent here and we shift from the enemy lurking in the night to a cosy image of Grandma baking fresh bread. Where are you going with this, Jesus? Not surprisingly, the disciples react in verse 36 by essentially saying to Jesus, "Um, those are nice stories, but could we please get back to the murder mystery parable? What was that one all about? 
And we're not terribly interested in mustard seeds and yeast, but that business about the enemy farmer and the weeds is exciting. So can we talk about that one again, please, Jesus, and forget about the mustard seed and grandma's bread for now. It's clever that Matthew is presenting these parables just the way he does, and the same with Jesus. It turns out that the excursion into the mustard seeds and bread is not a detour, but a key to unlocking the mystery of the first story. Ah, okay. But we see why we need to examine these stories a bit more specifically. The first parable we heard this morning contains that twist of an enemy purposely sowing weeds in the same field where the farmer has already planted a wheat crop. All farmers have to deal with weeds. At home, our lawn is infested with cobbler's pegs and they get stuck in your pants and in your socks. We try to pull them out before they go to seed. Our neighbour lets his cobbler pegs grow to abandon just next door. And, you know, once they go to seed, cobbler's pegs are going to be everywhere. But in the case of Matthew 13, they were intentionally sown. Isn't that mysterious? The farmer recognises this immediately. A few weeds here and there in the field is one thing, and it's to be expected as well, but the farmer smells a rat when just one particular type of weed is everywhere. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, the type of weed Jesus had in mind in this parable is one that looks like wheat as well. I was sort of reading between the lines. This makes the task of pulling out the weeds compared to the wheat even more difficult. It kind of looks, which one's which? However, the striking feature of the parable is not that this enemy does this as an act of counter-sowing, but that the farmer ends up saying in verses 29 and 30, just leave it be. Just leave it be. Just let them coexist until everything is ready for harvest. Then we'll deal with it later. All right, let's go about our normal daily business. Based on the farmer's reaction, we can tentatively draw three conclusions. First, the weeds and the wheat can coexist. It's not a situation where the weeds threaten to choke out the wheat. They're not going to kill off the wheat. The farmer lets them coexist because they can. The wheat will be fine. And the weeds cannot stop the wheat from growing, maturing, and so ultimately leaving the farmer's purpose for his crop. So he's still going to have a wheat crop at the end. Secondly, there's a hint that sometimes our perspective and vision are limited enough that we cannot always sort out the good from the bad. We can damage something good by trying to attack what we believe to be the problem. We need to leave those acts of judgment to God. God will get around to sorting things out in the end. We need to sit tight realising that we may be prone to mistakes and so we should leave it to God. And third, the danger for us is trying to do something about the problem that is not ours to solve. The weeds by themselves will not damage the wheat. But if we try to tackle the weeds on our own, we might end up damaging the wheat. Worse, it appears that even if we could avoid directly damaging the wheat, then there is something in the very act of attacking the weeds which could itself compromise the crop. In other words, if the wheat gets damaged, it will not be because of the weeds, but because of our reaction to the weeds. 
Our job is to nurture our best wheat crop for God's glory. So when it comes to dealing with some of the rotten stuff around us, we are to let it be. If we try and pull out the weeds, we may disturb the roots of the wheat as well and kill everything. So to forgive in the New Testament is to set aside and never deal with it again, to let it be. Interesting that this is the same word used in Matthew 13.30 for what Jesus wants our attitude toward bad stuff around us in this world to be. We are to forgive, be gracious and loving towards our enemies, even those whom we are sure represent some of the cobbler's pegs of life. God will deal with them eventually. And in some cases, the way God will deal with them is via his judgment of them. But that is not how we are to behave for now, because contained in this tiny word, let, is the gospel's heartbeat of grace, love, mercy and compassion. We tend to be impatient though, don't we? We find it difficult to leave certain things lie. Like the disciples, we want to run ahead and get to the fire and brimstone stuff, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Shouldn't we stand tall for God? We should. Shouldn't we be leading the charge of all things moral and good? We should. Yes, absolutely. Shouldn't we be taking our spiritual garden spades to root out all those who represent the weeds of life? Huzzah! Huzzah! No. No. At least... Not if doing so means that we lose sight of the fact that the way of the gospel is, first and all, the way of compassion, grace and gentle love. We must not lose sight of those precious gospel commodities. Equally vital, the world must also see these characteristics on shining display in us. The moment that we start to look more judgmental than willing to forgive, more violent than peaceful, more harsh than gentle, more self-righteous than humble, the moment that these things begin to happen is when the nature of God's kingdom gets eclipsed. So we go out, try and pull out the weeds, and we uproot the good as well. If so, then it's not because the weeds damage the wheat. Instead, it's our reaction to the weeds that end up harming the wheat. We do it ourselves, in other words. Now, Jesus turns to mustard seed and yeast parables. These images are dropped in precisely at this moment to highlight who we are to be in God's kingdom in this world. We are to forgive evil, to leave the judging to God because to act in any other way is inconsistent with God's kingdom. God's kingdom, as seen in Jesus' ministry, looks small yet grows large like a mustard tree. God's kingdom mixes into the world and, like yeast in dough, all but disappears yet somehow manages to permeate and dramatically change the lump of dough that it's mixed into. We can be people of truth and not stand up for that truth. We are to do no acts of judgment or discernment, 
of at least figuring out and distinguishing right from wrong? These are tough questions. Matthew 13 is not calling us to be empty-headed, passive people who tolerate anything and everything in the name of just leaving this life's crop of weeds alone. But even when fighting injustice, even when criticising false teaching, we need to remember the two most salient and vital lessons that emerge from Matthew 13. One, the weeds alone cannot damage the wheat. We need the confidence in God, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit who is at work in us and in the church to nurture a bumper crop of good stuff. There is no need for panic. That calm confidence leads to the second thing we need to learn from Matthew 13. Although the weeds cannot keep the fruit of love from ripening and maturing, we can corrupt our own love by our reactions to the weeds. So are we to be discerning? Yes. Are we to steer clear of weed-like evil practices or false teachings? Of course. Are we to witness to this world about the hope that is in us? Of course. And will that now and again require that we point out what is wrong in society? Yes. But in and through it all, we need to work on mustard seed plan and try to be effective the way yeast is effective. If we cannot change things through gentleness, love, mercy, grace and compassion, then we just cannot change them. That's an unhappy and perhaps frustrating fact. But switching to the violent, strong-arm tactics of the world won't do us or Jesus any good in the long run. In Matthew 13, the disciples leapfrogged over the mustard seed and yeast stories to force Jesus back to the themes relating to fire and brimstone and judgment. Jesus obliged them by predicting God's judgment of this world. And even so, it's God's judgment and not ours. That Jesus talks about. Meanwhile, we are called to keep on quietly growing, quietly permeating this world and leaving it with gospel hope and joy. We get impatient though. We want to fast forward through the I Love Lucy, like interruptions of yeast and tiny seeds to return to the judgment, don't we? We want to get back to the main story. But the only thing that will happen if we act that way is that more people may get judged. And if so, maybe the reason will be that a harsh and hostile way that we have behaved prevented some of those people from seeing us in the one thing that could have saved them all along. The love of Jesus, the love of that gentle farmer whose advice for now is to simply let it be so you can keep growing to my glory. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.